0: You can have systems and structures and processes in place, but still you need people to be able to bring it alive. And so from a sales enablement perspective, having that resource is invaluable for my sales team to be able to go to market with confidence and to be able to deliver the best experiences for our prospects and customers. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger insights and actionable advice from b2b marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence
1: Our guest in today's episode is a sales leader who has successfully tackled a monumental task establishing a new product category in the APAC region for a u.s tech company that has turned unicorn in 2021. in our conversation he reveals how he went about it and how he has leveraged sales enablement along the way. Please welcome Impact.com's APEX Sales Director, Peter Bray. Peter Bray, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Felix, my tail is wagging. Okay,
0: this is a very exciting time for me. Thank you for having me here.
1: I just checked my calendar and I noticed that we pretty much have our 10-year anniversary or friend anniversary, I should say, come up. So there's no better way than celebrating it with a podcast recording, I would say.
0: Look, let me uh, regale your multitude of listeners with how this relationship started. It probably sets the scene a little bit for why I'm hearing this conversation as well. And, you know, it goes on, yeah, 20, 2010, maybe it's 2011. I decided a bit of a career change under the guidance of some friends of mine who were in this crazy digital world. And uh, they suggested I do a, a three week course to become, you know, a digital expert because back then no one was really doing too much digital. And there was a significant skills and, and personnel shortage in the space. And so as part of this three-week course, I was rolled out into the, the Australian media ecosystem. And then when it was time to go to Fairfax, which was one of the big print and digital publishers, they're almost like a SWAT team-esque, like the crack seal team of ad products rolls into this room to brief out all these budding students. And who was leading that charge? No one but this man on the podcast with me today, Felix. So I remember that, mate. And then just by coincidence, we ended up getting circled back together just through mutual acquaintances. And I think we've both taken a bit of a journey since then.
1: That's right. And here we are. We've gone full circle, so to speak. No, you're teaching me instead of me teaching you about online video advertising.
0: <laughs> man, I think you've got much more to impart on me than I can share with you, but I appreciate <laughs> the other sentiment.
1: Well, let's find out. So, Pete, You've outlined where you started, you did this digital cadet course, but what have you done along the way and what do you do now?
0: Prior to becoming, I guess what you'd call a digital salesperson type character, before that I'd worked in media in different ways. So I was a radio announcer, I ran marketing and promotions teams in the, the radio space, the commercial radio space. I worked in travel and tourism, I'd been a tour manager. I trained tour managers to take people around Europe but worked in product development. So I've had a bit of a varied background. And then when the time came to to grow up, you know, I was very lucky to be given the opportunity to join a very fast moving mobile advertising company. And this is the when the iPhone came out. So apps and advertising weren't words that you really connected. But that company was called InMobi. And shortly after I joined In InMobi, as I think I was the second or third team member on the ground in Australia for InMobi. They'd picked up a couple of hundred million funding, which really started to elevate the game in our mobile advertising. And so in that, that was kind of my accelerant into the space, being part of a high growth business. You know, we went from three people to 40 people in two years, significant revenue, big kind of commercial deals with agency groups. And so I was lucky enough to rise through the ranks in my late twenties there. And from there, I did a bit of a stint at Forrester, which is a research and technology advisory firm. Following there, had my first taste of the SaaS world with a company called Celtra, who were pivoting from being a trading business and, and trading in the sense of they would just take cash upon usage for their product in the creative technology space, but they wanted to shift towards the SaaS mentality. Um, higher valuations, higher impact on their customers and what have you. And, you know, that was a really interesting and steep learning curve for me to step into that, you know, SaaS mentality, that ability, the longer sales cycles, multi, you know, multi-threaded conversations, working with many different stakeholders to sell in software for, you know, annual or multi-annual deals. And then not long after that, built a little art service business that sat around to kind of power that type of customer who use that technology. And three and a half years ago, I am sitting down and having a conversation with an old friend of mine who'd just taken a role with a company called Impact Radius, an established technology that works in the the performance marketing space. And as we sat down, we soon realized that there's a bit of a job to be done in the market with this company and and what he was looking to do to grow the footprint, grow the team and obviously grow the revenue. And so I was lucky enough to be given an opportunity to work with the company that I'm with now. The company's shifted from Impact Radius, it's just Impact And then we're just about to rebrand into impact.com. So that leads me to where I am today. I'm the the head of revenue for Australia and New Zealand and and Southeast Asia. It's an APAC-ish title. And so I have a bunch of sellers, a bunch of business development teams, and I I interface very closely with our sales enablement, our revenue enablement teams, our marketing functions as well.
1: And what exactly does Impact do? What sort of problem do you guys solve?
0: You know, it's funny. We do a lot of work in trying to, to distill what it is that impact does. And I had to go to the website to see what our latest iteration of this is. And this (laughs) is what it is. We transform the way enterprises manage and optimize all types of partnerships. And so the reason why we sometimes need to kind of rework that is because the company is moving at such a rapid pace and our total addressable market is growing as well. So we need to make sure that our messaging is in line with what we're offering. But look, in its most simple terms, organizations enterprises use our technology to enable partnerships so it's one entity working with another entity with mutual benefit and so our technology enables that now partnerships aren't new this is something that's existed forever and ever but using technology to scale partnerships that's where we come in that's something that we do that's very unique and so our history and impact was very grounded in what people would know as affiliate marketing which is a digital entity, say an e-commerce store, would engage a publisher, or a blogger, or maybe even a comparison site or something, and they would have this agreement, Where if that site would drive traffic to that e-commerce store and there was a sale to transpire from that audience, then the brand would pay a commission. Now, what we do is give the brands the ability to do that at significant scale. We'll work with any type of third party, online or offline, in really automated ways that can do things like increase profitability, can work with complete scale and transparency, then ultimately build a whole new growth engine. It's a really exciting space to play in, given the state of where advertising is at the moment.
1: Absolutely. I think you touched on something really interesting there. Value messaging is obviously any business that's in the startup phase or scale-up phase uh, is dealing with, you know, like you constantly need to iterate and tailor it towards your target market. But what I find particularly interesting about Impact is that you guys essentially were tasked or your sales team was tasked to create a whole new category in the minds of your target market, right? The partner management category. Like, How did you go about doing that? Because I can imagine a lot of early customers you would have spoken to had no idea what a partner management platform is, right?
0: Yeah. and. I don't blame people for getting a bit confused about who's this impact.com, who's this impact radius, because the name doesn't necessarily connect to what the outcome is or what you use it for. And also our target market, our prospects, they want to anchor. If we tell them something, they'll anchor that to their lived or you known experiences. And so they'll easily say, Oh, you're like a this or you're like a that. And we're creating a new category. It's like, Oh, well, not quite. It's a bit like this. And so. That's where the role of education comes in. It's the role of being able to ask the right questions to see where they're at, what's working, what's not, where do they want to get to, and then be able to take them on that journey and share the value that a company like Impact can deliver on that way and kind of push them where they need to be. And so, just by slamming your hand on the table and saying, "Oh no, this is who we are and this is what we do," doesn't get anywhere. You've got to do the education piece in a really consultative way. And demonstrate that and so when you say we've created a new category we're still doing it. every day we are re-educating people who we're speaking with our own customers are helping us do that as a sales leader one of my core roles is to work with our market-facing sellers to make sure that their message is aligned with the company direction capabilities but also aligned with the objectives of our customers
1: if you are a regular listener of the State of Sales Enablement podcast, chances are that you enjoy learning about strategic sales enablement as much as I do. Sales Enablement Live is a weekly live stream where we do deep dives and Q&As on sales enablement topics like buyer journey mapping, sales technology, coaching, sales content and more. If you want to be part of the conversation and receive notifications about upcoming sessions, please make sure to register on the thestateofsalesenablement.com. That's thestateofsalesenablement.com. Join the conversation every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Time, which is Tuesday, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. I'm looking forward to catching up with you on Sales Enablement Live. Would you say the skill set that's required for your team to be successful is different in that context compared to previous roles? Touching on the consultative approach and having to really understand and analyze where the client's at in order to make sense of the category that you're trying to establish?
0: Completely. And I'm hiring at the moment. And we've got four or five open roles in market. And you know, when I think about market-facing sellers, what do we look for? And this is an insight into our recruitment process. You know, Our HR do the screening side of things, and this is for the seller roles that I lead. When the, the HR team do the screening and when they make it through to me, I do a half-an-hour phone call. And in that half-an-hour phone call, I'm looking for the three key things or the lenses by which I'm looking at that call. Number one is culture and communication. That's the most important thing. We need to make sure that the people that we're speaking with, they can fit the company culture, they're in line with the culture and the values, and they can communicate comfortably and capably. If they can't do those things, then that's like, yeah, no-go for me, number one. Next point is about knowledge and network. What do they know? Who do they know? And what impact are they going to have straight away when they join PACT? Right, so a culture and communication, knowledge and network. The last bit is applicable experience. If you think about most recruitment processes I know that I've been through, It's usually the other way around. People look around at, well, what have you done? All right, so what do you know? Okay, cool. Do you fit the company? We go the other way around because we know the type of people that we need for the company for right now. Right now is very different than five years from now. People that we need for the company right now, they need to be great to deal with. They need to be able to lead with insight. They need to deliver great experiences. And they need to become that trusted advisor. We don't need people to come and sell a product. No, it's not also about sales solutions. It's about going, well, let's, let's kind of understand and lead with empathy and trying to find the right type of people for that. It's a real challenge, but it's actually a challenge I really enjoy as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've heard both approaches previously, but I think what you have in common, which is also a reflection of the stage your business is at, is that it's often like those fast-growing businesses that put culture first because the business has to work it out along the way, along the growth journey. And so do the people that they hire. So culture suddenly becomes the safety net, so to speak, to make sure that you're aligned in terms of value and your approach to work and so on. And then everything else can be taught or can be worked out along the way. But the culture piece is really crucial to make that fast growth work.
0: I agree. And we've heard culture eats strategy for breakfast. You might have heard that sales follows strategy. And so when I think of that, ultimately it's the people that make any business work and there's been advice I was given from a previous general manager that I worked for and he even said about himself he said I might not be the right leader for this business from the right leader for right now I've often reflected upon that and the maturity of where a business is and for the job that needs to be done you bring the right people in and so from a market-facing seller's perspective we don't need someone who's just going to be pigeonholed and spin that role we need people that can think across our business, that can think across our customers' businesses. They can connect the dots. They can turn on a dime in their narrative, the right type of questioning. And it's a really high EQ requirement <laughs> in order to be able to succeed, I feel, in the role. And you know that's why it makes it so fun as well because you, know, you spend the time trying to get the right team and then you want to empower them and continue to help them grow and retain them. And they're really important initiatives for me as a sales leader.
1: And speaking of empowerment, You obviously represent the Australian office. You've got a massive team in the US. How do you make sure that you actually leverage those resources that you have available overseas for the local market and make sure that the translation is actually adding value to your activity over here?
0: I've got influence across the entire APAC region, so I see a bit about what happens in Southeast Asia with our China team as well. What can sometimes happen is that from a, a global HQ, and in our case it's West Coast of the United States, APAC can get lumped in into one region, like North America is a region. But as we know, it's a very disparate region with language, with culture, with unique things, like there's only some websites available in some regions, and they have followings and audience in those regions only. So when we talk about marketing, that makes things very difficult because there's all different types of audience you need to go after. And so when we interface with our headquarters, we're really lucky on a couple of fronts. Our leadership on a global level have complete trust in our regional leadership. And that doesn't happen out of nowhere. That happens over time. And so when we ask for something, we, we ask for something to be changed or whatever it might be, yeah, we have to build some sort of business case, but they typically take it as, well, you know what you're talking about. So we'll trust you and we're empowered to make the right decisions. and. You don't want a top-down, a trickle-down effect. You want to have a collaboration. You almost want to look at like a global headquarters as the enablement arm. So you say to them what it is you need. And in Impact's case, they're a content machine. (laughs) Our North American office is just pumping out so much content. Of course, there's reasons for that. Like we've got such a big target market. We're still trying to educate. It helps with our search rankings and all that type of stuff, right? And so... That's great, but then it's also about distilling and synthesizing that information to enable our go-to-market team on the marketing the BDRs, the sellers, to make sure that what they've got resonates, to make sure it's realistic. And sometimes it doesn't mean it needs to be something specific for that one market in APAC. It just needs to be the tone. It needs to make sure that the maturity of some customers or the market in the US or the UK might be different than what it is in New Zealand. And so being aware and cognizant of that, means that the marketing, the collateral has to be delivered in the right tone. So we'll take a lot of the good stuff that gets delivered on a global scale and we won't always have the opportunity to be able to customize that, but it's in how do we wrap our narrative with it? And that local narrative is the power of the people within the business.
1: And then I assume you're also able to benefit in terms of the tech infrastructure from head office and all the systems that are put in place?
0: Yeah, of course. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast They've worked in big organizations where there's a lot of legacy systems. And you know, there's the spaghetti you have to kind of wade through to try and figure out how things connect and why we're using this tech. It's clunky, it's old, but it's connected to so many other things so you can't take it out because it'll break. And the one thing that I can say about the organization, the sales enablement organization, the marketing organization at Impact, is that they're always looking for new ways to do things. Now, what that means sometimes is that you just get used to doing things one way. Using a piece of software for storing all of our content that we create spaces for and then share three or four bits of content on one link to a prospect. And it's like, oh, we're changing it. And then we're rolling out a new one. And so it's all for the right reason. But there can sometimes be that teething pain of a growing company that's optimizing the way that it works and then being stuck in APAC or in Australia in Sydney office or from home, sometimes last to the party to realize that change has happened. But that's normal. Every company has challenges. And so that's one key focus for me. And we've recently appointed a sales enablement or a revenue enablement lead for APAC. You know, They're the ones who need to be that conduit. I see the function of sales enablement, revenue enablement with an impact on a regional level. I see their function to be conduit, to make sure that they are across what's happening in the broader company. The key initiatives that are three months out two months out one month one week so that they can communicate to us so that we're not falling behind or that we're not being a squeaky wheel saying we didn't know this was happening or what have you so you can have systems and structures and processes in place but still you need people to be able to bring it alive and so from a sales enablement perspective having that resource is invaluable for my sales team to be able to go to market with confidence. And to be able to deliver the best experiences
1: for our prospects and customers. In that respect, you've probably also gone through this internal growth in terms of the maturity from your sales and aim and perspective, having to work everything out yourself in the very beginning to now having a dedicated resource that actually brings it all together for the local team, right?
0: Of course. And just to give you a bit of a view of how that's changed from a local perspective, 12 months ago, we didn't have anyone working on it. I would have a call with the sales enablement team maybe once a month. We'd get a weekly digest that would come into our inboxes. We'd get our product marketing material that would just come into our inboxes and we'd filter through it and just go, okay, what's what are we going to use and what helps? And so that's very tactical. There's no really strategic messaging behind that. But then we identified that we need to put some attention into this space. And we brought on a part-time, a three-day-a-week returning-to-work mother who came in and she led this whole operation around sales enablement and she stood up from scratch. Lucy. named She's been an absolute asset and she's actually stepping out of the business you know, 12 months-ish on because she's going to have another baby. But what she's done is she's created this culture within our team. She's got the structures in place that we can now have that content flow through to our teams in a really synthesized way. And then again, we've done to continue to evolve and improve. We've taken a, a really integral team member who's been with impact for a number of years in a number of roles. We've got a real cross functional, cross departmental understanding. We've brought him into the full time sales enablement role. So we've gone from nothing to an FTE of someone who knows our business intimately and the intricacies of it. He's leading the charge and the sales enablement from. And then, you know, it's not just about personnel. It's also about, well, What does it mean to the business? How do we work with it? And if I think about how much of an integral role sales number plays in our day-to-day now, our entire annual strategy, sales enablement is embedded within that. When I think about our half reviews or our quarterly reviews, we have projects and programs in place that our team, that individuals know where they've got to go and where they've got to get to. If I think about enablement, it's not just about giving stuff to people, it's also about the development. It's enabling them to be their best sellers or, as we like to call it, be your best self. You want to create an environment where you love what you do, where you're happy working here, you're thrilled, but you're also challenged. And so an example of that, every week we have what we call a start, stop, keep session. So it's every Thursday at 2.30. We use a fantastic software called gong.io, gong.io gio And mean, it syncs up with any of your video conferencing software. So every meeting that you have, it records it, yes, but then it does a whole bunch of analysis and tracking of what was said, who was said, key takeaways, some insights. It's just a big data play, but it's an amazing bit of kit. So what we do with our Start, Stop, Keep sessions, at the beginning of the week, we dedicate a call from the week prior or a couple of weeks prior a BDR or an AE will say, hey, can we please review my call? And then the revenue team will take time during that week leading up to the Thursday meeting to review that call. And then we have a framework. Now, framework is start, stop, keep. So based on what we observe in that call, here are a couple of things that me as a sales director feel that you should start doing with your calls based on what I've just observed. Here's a couple of things I would suggest stop doing. And here's a couple of things you should keep doing. So When we have that type of feedback session on a weekly level, that is coming from different team members. We all know the direction we're going. We all know our frameworks around value and as a company, but then we also know how we message and the type of trap-setting questions we should use. We take that and then the team create that feedback culture where you don't step into that. Like if I put a call forward, I wouldn't be going into that call going, I'm going to be torn in shreds. It's like, no, I'm going into that call knowing I'm going to step out of that much stronger, much more aware, and ready to tackle my next call with a whole bunch of stuff that's going to help me in a really positive way. If you think about that longitudinally, everyone's just going to get better. We keep feedback and accountability part of our DNA. And I think sales enablement is a key part of that because the sales enablement is the one who can keep that in line with part of the messaging, with part of our training and Thinking about how is it best to position this or how to best to respond. You're not just enabling with content, you're enabling with skills. And here's a structure that we use as well. I think of sales enablement to be key drivers of three elements. Number one is process. So when someone is new to the business or a new tool gets deployed, sales enablement helps the sellers with the process of how to use that tool. They train them on how to do it. So process is one. The next is product sales enablement help the team get trained in the product, understand it, implication, application, and then also how to sell it. So it's process and that's product. And then the last bit is skills and techniques. Now, if we think about those three things, if you're new to impact, you need to learn all the processes, you need to learn all the product, and then you also probably have to learn some skills and techniques. But over time, you'll know the processes. Sure, there'll be a few more that'll get lumped on, but you'll know the process. The product might get some enhancements, but you'll know most of the product, so it's fine. So then the role sales enablement starts to really focus on that skills and technique because that's something that can always continue to get better.
1: Absolutely. I think, what you touched on in terms of the feedback and the coaching that you're already implementing, I think culturally, you're probably ahead of a lot of supposedly more mature organizations out there. That's probably the biggest success factor that you see in challenger brands being out there eating the breakfast of the big brands. It sounds like you guys are onto something there.
0: It's working so far. We can always do better. I mean, To be real, I just think about what do I want to take away from the role? I want to enjoy what I do, yes, but I, I want to become bulletproof. I want to constantly learn. I'll never, I don't feel I'll ever get to a point where there's nothing I'll, I'll ever be able to learn or improve about how I operate. That's a real mindset perspective. That's one of the things we look at with our recruitment, right? It's just thinking, are these people, do they have a growth mindset? Are they open to feedback? Can they take it, implement it? Are they self-aware? Do they lead with empathy? So we think about those things. And they're great. But then sales enablement comes in from a strategic and a very practical standpoint to be able to help progress our team. If I think about accelerants within businesses, the major accelerant within a business is its people. And if you can enable the team to be able to bring their best self every day, to enjoy what they do, they sell well, they make a lot of money, <laughs> they're happy, right? You should be keeping those people because you're fulfilling a lot of the, the elements that's required to keep them.
1: Absolutely. I want to change gears here and just talk about the Australian market on a higher level. You work for an American company, so you have insight into their culture. You know what it takes to be successful as an assassin organization in the Australian market. For American companies considering entering the Australian market, obviously non-competitive to impact because you don't want to empower your competition. But let's say an American company wanting to enter the Australian market, what advice would you give them in terms of the characteristics of the Australian market and what they should really consider and what mistakes to avoid.
0: Let me let me share a story, Felix. When Impact first launched in this market, did a, a soft launch, hired a couple of local heads and the company sent down the sales gun from the US and also a customer success lead and maybe someone else, but sent down like the sales gun. And sales gun was here for three months or six months. But... Just to kind of paraphrase this, he went back to the business. He was very well regarded, very capable seller, a great, great member of the team. Went back to the business and said, the way you sell down there is not how we sell up here. (laughs) Why that was so important was that from that moment forward, CEO said, okay, we need to hire a team in Australia or across APAC and just let them run their own show. Now, I mentioned that earlier, which is you know where I wouldn't say we're left to our own devices, but there's trust. And I've worked on the other side of that, where a US leadership CEO, CRO, wanted to maintain and control and direct the how you operate in market, and without that understanding, without that local network, without those relationships, without the ability to flex and work for what the market needs. It's very hard to deliver success and you would have had enough of these conversations that you'd have a really interesting insight on that when you've asked this question before. But if I was to distill really simply what's worked from a company spinning up in this region with the headquarters overseas, I think the big things to consider from a sales leadership standpoint is that you need to have the trust of the business, but they also need to be able to trust you. You need to be able to have a network and a relationship base to lean on to move things forward because we all know that relationships truly matter when trying to do business together. If you've got that established network, it helps accelerate things. The other thing I'll say is around, it's kind of around hiring, but it's a bit bigger than that, which is we also need to acknowledge that everyone's in sales. And by that, I mean each person that you bring into the team they are the ambassador for the brand, for what you're offering is. We all need to be strategically aligned, which is the goal here, is to acquire new customers, deliver great experiences. And so every person that you bring on, they need to play a role in that. It doesn't mean they have to go and knock on doors and get your meetings, but it means that they know when there's an interaction, that we're all heading the same direction, which is pushing our prospects down the funnel so that we can bring them on to be customers and then keeping them super important.
1: Absolutely. I think what you said about effectively translating the American approach into the Australian market, that's exactly what I've seen with companies that have failed to really establish themselves over here. You know, the fact that both countries speak English is probably one of the few commonalities When it comes to the actual market, Australia is about the size of Florida. So, the relationship base that is needed to be really successful and the kind of communication style that you need to be successful is a very different one to the US, I think.
0: Yeah, it is, mate. And if I can build on that a little bit, because my remit is across APAC, I remember pushing that mobile ad side of things into media agencies. It would always be like, oh, sure, give us some case studies. And when you're an emerging category, when you are a new type of technology, a new way of thinking and operating, you don't always have case studies. And in particular in the SaaS world, because you don't bring, and this is like the blend of media, marketing, advertising, compared to technology. Technology is a long-term infrastructure play to provide efficiencies and benefits across an entire organization, not just run a campaign to get a result. Very different things. And so When we think about going to market, bringing a new category, trying to sell, people always want to know, oh, this has been done before, right? It's risk. They want confidence in that. In Southeast Asia, it's even more so, right? You have to have a case study before you can even get in the door. And so when I think about trying to launch, continue to build, you you need to have those customers on board to help kind of deliver that validation for you in local matters, Well, because you signed a deal with Uber, it's a great validation of getting an innovator on board, but it also doesn't help you cross the chasm in a local market where there's local nuance.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. The case study or the social proof is really big here in Australia. People are hesitant at first, but then once the social proof is there, commercially, you've got the potential to gain traction really fast. I mean, one of the products that I launched at Fairfax as well, it took us about three months to sell the product the first time to make the first sell. And then it took us about two weeks to sell five more, you know, because suddenly you had the case study and the social proof and the perceived risk was less. So I think that's something to consider. And obviously, as you said, having the existing relationships in place will help to reduce that perceived risk for new launches over here.
0: Of course, and again, from a SaaS perspective, you're tapping into budgets that are annualized or that's part of budget cycle. You're not tapping into media dollars for a campaign spend. It's very different. And In order to get that, the multi-thread, to get them multiple stakeholder engagement, to make sure that you're on that planning cycle, you also need to fight risk. And that's the diligence that the company, the prospect undertakes of you to make sure that you're adding value. And that's another thing on the sell side from a seller's perspective or because you can pitch a product doesn't mean you can manage a complex deal process. And that's something you have to only experience. And so for some of our AEs at the moment, a couple of them have been there for 120 days, 124 days. We just had a review just the other day. You can share this information from a leadership perspective, from an experience perspective, but sometimes they have to go feel it themselves. They have to go and just feel the pain to go through. Why isn't this moving? I'm getting all these signals to say, yeah, it's happening. But until they've been through it, until they lose a couple, then they go, okay, here are the gaps that we need to work on. And then, you know, we can have sales and knocking on them every day saying, here you go, you've got to do this way, do it this way, here's the gap. But until they've experienced it, only then will it be a learned behavior to start to shift in, in a different way.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And speaking of learning, you've experienced, sales roles without sales enablement and our no sales role with sales enablement. A lot of our listeners don't have like our sales leaders and don't have sales enablement within their organization. What tips could you give them to more effectively enable their sales team with little resources and little time they probably have on their hands that they can spend enabling their sales team? What would you suggest to those listeners? I think about top-down,
0: bottoms-up. So top-down is the company will enable you as a sales. It takes resource. It takes a lot of effort. It's about getting multiple stakeholders in line, making sure the narrative's You're not going to get that from scratch. So why don't you go bottoms up? Which is speaking to the sellers, understanding what do they know, what don't they know. What do they need? What do they have? What's the gap? And then if you can figure that bit out as part of a project, like a sprint, for example, and then it's about accountability. It's about getting the sellers themselves to enable themselves and then share that insight amongst the team. And then from a, a leadership perspective, what you're doing is then vying for resource to be able to support that. And what happens is when it's coming from the bottom, the team are accountable, it is theirs, and they will rejoice when it starts to work in a different way. The culture shifts or the operationalization of trying to get a new headcount to just do this role, particularly if there's not that role in other markets. That's a big battle because that person would enter the role and not really know what they're there for. So sometimes you have to create the momentum and distribute the responsibility so that it can get from A to B and then you can worry about getting to C to D.
1: Yeah, I love that. I've actually seen that sort of approach successfully implemented by small sales teams that don't have those resources. So yeah, I absolutely love that and confirm that it's been implemented successfully before. So it's awesome. Pete, before I let you go, I want to thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's been awesome to have you on to celebrate our friend anniversary And if people want to connect with you and continue the conversation, where can they find you online?
0: They always find me on LinkedIn. Peter Bray, I'm the APAC Sales Director for impact.com. And I also have a side hustle. Quick plug here. If you want to connect and you're thinking about getting married or knowing someone who is, I'm a wedding celebrant. So you can also find me at peterbraycelebrant.com.au. <laughs>
1: That's right. That's one for another episode.
0: <laughs> it is. And then we can talk about my previous escapades around tour managing around Europe as well.
1: That's right. Thank you so much for joining, Peter. Thanks for the opportunity, Felix. You've been listening to the State of South Enablement Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn more about sales enablement, you'll find a growing number of articles, videos, and templates specifically for enterprise technology businesses at kruegermarketing.com/learn. That's k r u e g e r marketing.com/learn.